0: Slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. You, Dora Welty, we are back with one of the greatest American writers that has ever lived.
1: This story is hysterical.
0: Wow. I love this story. It is funny. And welcome to the Codex Cantina where I am Una.
1: And I'm living down at the P.O. Crypto. <laughs>
0: if you are new around here, we take a conversational approach to the stories that we read and understanding them. If you're down for looking at some of the most important stories that have influenced even today's writers, hit that subscribe button to join us.
1: And as always, we start off with publication information. Why I Live at the P.O. was published in 1941 in A Curtain of Green. And we'll leave a link down in the description where you can listen for free from our friend Hannah reading it to you.
0: Now, this work was apparently influenced by a picture, Welty saw, of someone ironing in the back of a post office.
1: It's absolutely incredible that somebody is so creative. It always blows my mind that you can see one thing. And we've seen this before. Oh, I see some steel in the ground at a beach. And boom, I have this amazing short story. Or I see a woman doing her job and all these creative pieces come into play. It it, it absolutely boggles my mind.
0: You know, and if there's one piece of advice I could give out to people out there, it's make sure you read this just with a smile. I mean, the first pass I had at this, I don't think I really grasped this theme that we have kind of an unreliable narrator in a sense where we're not totally supposed to trust her. And the problem was the first time I read it, I like some things didn't line up and it was because I was totally trusting her. So I actually had to do a second pass and man, this piece is hysterical when you're kind of like realizing that this narrator's like, "Hey, take my side. Like, come on, don't you think my sister's a jerk? Like, my family's totally turning against me. Don't you believe me?" Like, it's so much more enjoyable when you look at it with like the right lens, I feel like.
1: Definitely. If you go into this not knowing that it's supposed to be satirical and it's supposed to be a comedy and that will definitely I think hinder your enjoyment. But if you go into this that it's going to be absolutely ridiculous and that the narrator possibly is lying to you about everything then you'll understand how it is supposed to be enjoyed
0: so for themes we're also going to have to talk about some jealousy and independence with this piece today let's go ahead and move into our plot summary make sure that we're all on the same page and then we'll jump into our discussion and analysis so on the 4th of july in china grove mississippi the narrator was perfectly happy before her younger by one year sister returns home Her sister recently separated from Mr. Whitaker, who the narrator was seeing first, and has returned with a young two-year-old girl named Shirley
1: T. Mm. Now,
0: her sister, Stella Rondo, tells everyone the child is adopted, but the narrator points out how much the child looks like Papa Daddy, also the granddad, (laughs) who's also like a million years old, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now later that day stella manipulates maybe papa daddy or grandpa and says that the narrator thinks he should shave his beard a very proud feature for the granddaddy the effrontery, as he's very attached to this beard and he turns on the narrator and then uncle rondo enters the house and borrows stella's kimono now later the narrator claims that shirley t can't speak which angers Stella Rondo greatly and their mama. And the mother tells the narrator to apologize as they argue, and the mother soon also turns against the narrator. Stella then kind of, maybe, manipulates Uncle Rondo and suggests that the narrator said that he looks ridiculous in that kimono that he's wearing. And now the uncle turns on our narrator as well. Soon the narrator leaves and moves to the post office, and she grabs a bunch of miscellaneous items on her way out.
1: <laughs> says she could never be happier. Right? I love living at the post office.
0: <laughs> uh, end plot. Very fun piece. I will tell you that. And what's really interesting, we kind of touched on already, was this first-person narration, right? By entering in to the narrator's mind, who we never get a name. We kind of at first are like, well some of the things that you're saying seem kind of questionable. Like They don't match up quite. And it's not until you realize you really should be questioning some of the things that she's telling you that I feel like a lot of the story clicks.
1: Yeah, she over-exaggerates a lot here. And I think the first red flag is that everybody in the story has these very eclectic names. And the main character, the narrator that's telling you this story doesn't have a name she's just referred to as sister so that's the first bell that should be going off in your brain as you read this and the
0: opening line just sets up that conflict with the narrator like we become vested in choosing a side as this narration begins right because well you know i was with mr whitaker first like completely random information we didn't actually need to know and then when the 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 sister's coming home and getting all the attention the, the narrator's like, well, I had two chickens and I had to stretch it out across all this with a moment's notice. No one warned me. You know, she's doing all of these little subtle nuances where we're seeing that there's some games being played, a conflict story between the narrator and the sister Stella Rondo.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key to the story is, is this this purpose of why do we have these siblings, why do we have this rivalry between these siblings, and I think it sets up this idea that a lot of times in families, one person is always going to get maybe a little bit more attention, or even feel like that their sibling is getting more attention than them. They may not necessarily, but it makes you grow resentful of your sibling.
0: And that's interesting because both of them are using their family as weapons, against each other they're both trying to like garner favors and you see that with something as simple as when they start talking about the beard from papa daddy and stella rondo kind of like says hey papa daddy sister thinks that you should cut your beard and as as far as what the narrator tells us she never once said that
1: no yeah and this is i think our first clue of dialogue that sister is trying to manipulate you as the reader into feeling sorry for her
0: and it's the same thing with the kimono. And what I like is what happens is, is Eudora Welty has mastered control over dialogue in this story. Just absolute brilliant. And the way that, you know, they're talking about, oh, that kimono looks absolutely atrocious. And it's actually, it, what the narrator tells us, is Stella Rondo is the one that, that claims that it looks his, like, terrible on him. And then only once they're in conflict... With Uncle Rondo, does Stella Rondo mention that, oh, by the way, sister said this, which the narrator told us that it was the other sister that said that, but is that true? Right. We must question it at this point, because why does the narrator like break this wall and turn to us as audience members and say, now, do you remember who it was that said told that?
1: Yeah. And that piece of dialogue really kind of sets up the family dynamic here as well. You see that this family seems to all isolate themselves and isolate everybody else in their family. And we see that in the conclusion of the story as well, where sister is isolating herself from the rest of her family because how she feels that she has been treated.
0: Well, and then we have when the sister shows up with Shirley T, she says, I'll have you never refer to my daughter again, like isolating her daughter from her sister. And then we have a reference to some situation with Aunt Flo where they're like, I told you you weren't allowed to mention her name again. Again, another isolation tactic with family members, too. So we see that this is something that this family uses as a weapon is isolating each other from other family members.
1: Indeed, and this is where it kind of comes full circle with the names, and Welty is just a master creator of her craft, where they stop calling Stella by her full name, and they just drop this, and it seems to create this more conflict between her and the uncle. It's brilliant writing, and I also think that the narrator has really let Stella Rondo control her life and finally towards the end of the story we see her taking control of her life and taking some responsibility as she finally moves away again isolating herself as she goes to live at the post office
0: and it's just hysterical how like Papa Daddy sticks his head out the window like where are you going (laughs) like you just get a really funny view but also there's all these little things you'll notice what's Papa Daddy stick his head out of a window window where yeah. did they, two sisters, watch, you know, uh, Uncle Rondeau prance around in his kimono and even try to <laughs> kick Papa Daddy out of the hammock?
1: Through the window. Through the window.
0: <laughs> so you'll notice window, which is, a, I don't know, it's, it's not a super common word, but for how short the story is, it actually shows up 12 times. It's very Dang. clear that Welty is using these windows to kind of frame how characters view each other right and as you know the narrator's leaving and papa daddy's sticking his head out as she's taking ferns and random things and yelling out of her it's always setting up you know what characters are seeing and what their perspective is so so windows are something that i would pay attention to when i'm reading this story but also just the idea of communication too we have usages of radio several times in this piece too where radio is even used five times through this. And what is a radio? It's one-way communication, communication, right? It's a, I wouldn't say it's necessarily in the same realm of isolating someone, but in a sense, it is a one-way street as opposed to where does sister go to live when she decides to isolate herself.
1: She goes to the post office, one-way communication again.
0: Right, but it is a, a hub for how people must communicate. And in this small town, smallest in Mississippi, smallest PO office ever, but it's hers, you know, courtesy of (laughs) Papa Daddy. Eventually the family will have to come to her, in theory, to communicate with other outside world too. So again, playing with this theme of where information goes and how we isolate and can we isolate each other, Eudora Welty masterfully done with this story. And I just, I was cracking up all the way, even from... You know, Papa Daddy, who's a million years old, to to Uncle Rondo. Like, you know, when they, they slam their forks down when they're offended. It's just, it's a very beautiful and entertaining story.
1: I think it's very high energy. You have to go into this knowing that it's very chaotic. And I think that you'll get the humor out of that, knowing all these different symbols that pop up.
0: Right, right. It's And there's even small things, too. Like, what, what day does this story take place?
1: Fourth of July.
0: Which is a... Uh, Day of
1: Independence Day. Independence for sister from her family. (laughs) The day that she leaves. (laughs) So subtle, man. Wealthy. Amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: Love it. And and if you want to hear more of our Eudora Wealthy talks, you know, we're gonna leave a playlist down below where you're welcome to check out some of those. Now let us know if you saw some of these things or what are some other things that you kind of picked up on the story. Welty is just a master of just sprinkling little details in there. I feel like we're maybe only scratching half of the things, probably, if that, in in this story. Let's move into our reader's review, where we just give our opinion of the story. It's not meant to be an objective, uh, qualitative score. It's just how did it hit us? Crypto, how did the story hit you?
1: Solid nine, right? Anytime you make me laugh in a story, because I think that's something that takes a very unique writer is to make you laugh while you're reading. And a lot of people don't give themselves permission to laugh during this. And the whole time, I was envisioning the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, when sisters going around at the end picking up these random o- objects. <laughs> all I need is this remote control. All I need is this thermos and this chair and this magazine, and it just—I I, was—I was cracking up the whole time. But the culmination of all of it, and the use of symbology and the use of names, all wrapped in this very short story is uh impressive and i think that this is something that everybody should try to get into their brains because one it's great enjoyment and two it can be very useful to for teaching tools of how to be a master writer for short stories
0: and this candle all over here i just need this candle this bread and this water bottle and i'm gonna go live at the po <laughs> i'll go with a 9.5 as well highly enjoyable story as you know i crinkle this very good i'd audio quality move by me but you know guys definitely something to check out if you haven't already if you were reading this for a class i hope you guys were able to enjoy this Great piece of literature right here. If you're down for more literature discussions like this, breaking down some of the meetings and talking about it with other people, we'd love to have you along and hear your thoughts on the journey, guys. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out.
1: Peace.